Hi, my name is Ava, and this is your Truth For Your 20s podcast with Mama. Peace. Hey, my name is Katie Bulmer. I was your typical heartbroken and hungover sorority girl who looked for love in boys, Bacardi, and did I mention boys? After the breakup that broke me, I met the only man who can truly fulfill me. His name is Jesus. Shortly after that, I met my husband, the best example I have met of Jesus on this earth. Today, I have never been more sure I am right where I'm supposed to be on a mission to help today's young women find their life calling, stop dating dirtbags, and basically just be who I needed when I was younger. I've been called a big sis, an adopted mom, or my favorite title, a cool aunt. But however you think of me, get ready to be challenged and encouraged. This is the Truth For Your 20s podcast. Hello, my name is Katie, and welcome to another episode of the Truth For Your 20s podcast. I have with me my friend, Dr. Christine Bacon. She is an expert on all the things, and I've had the opportunity to get to talk with her several times, and I was like, oh my gosh, Christine, can you please come on the podcast? Because her expertise around the area of love, attraction, sex, hormones is super juicy and fun, and I love it, and I love her incredible personality. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Katie. Yes, we're right in the same wheelhouse and you and I just want to save relationships. And so I'm so honored that you brought me on because I think this is like our fifth conversation and I just, it's a mutual admiration society. We love each other because we're both fighting to save marriages um, before they start. Yes. So tell us kind of like what you're doing in the the day-to-day, the office, the books, what you're up to currently, and then, and then we'll kind of talk about how you got there. So I've written a book called The Super Couple, A Formula for Extreme Happiness in Marriage. And I kind of tell you that first because I also teach super couple seminars, which of course COVID's put a little uh, damper on the seminar part, but I also coach couples. Uh, when they started watching me do my seminars, I didn't start out as a uh, someone doing one-on-ones, but people kept coming to me and I said, I'm not a counselor, I'm not a counselor. And they said, but you make sense. And so I started using what I found. It, I, I do have a PhD in marriage communication. I mean, so it's not like I'm, but just say, let's get you to understand what really makes you happy in marriage based on not only you know, my experience and my degree, but on these couples who I've interviewed, you know, over 50 of them with tape recorders and, you know, probably a hundred of them informally to go, this is a formula and you guys can be extremely happy. And so the one last thing is what was born out of that is my current passion is my standards meetings And standards are people who are standing for reconciliation of their marriage while their spouse is cheating on them or has left them or is living with the other woman or other man or is divorcing them or has divorced them or has had a child with the other person. And these people stand on their vows and say, till death do us part, I'm still married to you. And it sounds crazy, but there are absolute strategies to winning back your spouse by the grace of God, of course. But when we realize the things that actually get us and make us happy, selflessness and and, uh, paying attention to what people do well instead of what they do poorly, communicating properly, respect, which is sorely absent, 
today encouraging one another and being deliberate about all this, which is really the super couple formula. It works whether you're trying to get a marriage, save a marriage, or remarry. Yes, I love all of that. And that's so interesting because, you know, you and I, you and I have talked about this before, but a good marriage almost sounds like a unicorn. Like we hear stories about it. <laughs> we right. know it exists, but there's almost no examples on TV. And almost no one grows up having that as an example of their parents. But you have found there really are steps and formulas to find this, as you call, you know, super couple. So that, mm-hmm. that's amazing. Yeah. And I don't like people look at super like it's Superman. It's just these are people who, when surveyed on a seven point scale from extremely unhappy to perfect, which would be seven, 35% of them checked off extremely happy, which would be number six on a seven point scale. And it was amazing. I was like, what on earth is that? What does that look like? And those are the ones who were labeled as super couples because from the outside looking in, they're like, oh, this couple's amazing. And we idolize them. And so I wanted to find out, we shouldn't idolize them, by the way, but we you know, wanted to find out, well, what do they have? Did they just accidentally find the right person? Or is there a formula? And in my bad marriage in those days, I expected to find they just got lucky. But, you know, praise God, as I did my research, there was absolutely a formula because 100% of the men answered the same way and 100% of the women answered the same way. And just one more thing, Katie, I teach a course called Communication and Close Relationships at the university here. And I have my students, I describe what a super couple is. I tell them what I found. And then I tell them, you go and find a super couple, which is actually the hardest part of the assignment. But then here are the questions I asked. I'm going to have you ask. And then you tell me what you find. And then they do a presentation and every single one of them, and that's because it's a formula, came back and said, Dr. Bacon, you're right. They are practicing this the sacred formula. They're selfless and the attentiveness and the deliberateness and the communication, you know, So it was really exciting to see this isn't just a Christine Bacon opinion piece. This is an absolute do this and your marriage will be extremely happy kind of thing. It's it's wonderful. It gives hope. I'm taking so many notes. This is so good. (laughs) Okay, so I know your story because we've had conversations, but obviously your personal story, I'm sure, was a big motivator to what you're doing now. So tell us about your own journey with marriage. I was always this romantic and I never really knew that I was different than most people, but, um, and I wasn't asleep around. And so when I met my boyfriend in May of 1983, I wasn't on the pill. And then of course I tell him it's because he's a sailor and you know how those sailors are. And we had sex after knowing each other only two weeks. I don't recommend that to people, but we made that mistake. I have since repented, but, um, we got pregnant the first day we had sex. And I knew it and it was, I just knew it. And we got married two and a half months after meeting each other. We had our baby, obviously, seven months after we were married and marriage was happy. He's in the military, did a deployment, came back, got me. We moved to New Hampshire. We were so excited to have our second child. We got pregnant. And in the midst of all that, I started having an affair. And so people are like, wait, what? And I do talk about that. I'm actually starting. You'd be so excited. I'm just starting writing my my biography. Not that anybody cares about me, but the story is so full of all my mistakes and then how God has blessed them to turn things around. But looking at 
that, um, I like to tell people affairs don't happen because you are unhappily married. Yes, if you are unhappily married, there you are more prone to have them. But most affairs happen because we have our boundaries down or, or various reasons. So I know the show is not about affairs, but I wanted to put that out there. So we were happily married. I got a new job. This guy starts preying on me and I find myself having an affair. And in that process, I was 21 years old. So I'm not going to make any excuses other than the fact that I was ignorant and I didn't realize a lot of things. So I left my husband and I was with that guy. Uh, I call it my dark years. So I was with a dark guy and um, for two years and I kicked him out. And then I just kind of started coming closer to God and, and my own life. And my husband, unbeknownst to me, was doing the same thing and the state he was in. And he started pursuing me again. And I was scared to death. I was like, no, 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 no. We, we, we already tried this. It's, it's not going to work. But the good thing, and this is what I teach my standards, is he was persistent. He wasn't letting it go. And, and people who have affairs are not usually going to come begging to come back because we've got too much pride. We've made mistakes. We've told everybody, I never loved that person, so on and so forth. So it was the person who my husband had never realized was the, was the original stander, he just kept pursuing this person who had humiliated and shamed him. So we decided to get back together, not out of love per se, although actually looking at it, Katie, it actually was love, but not love like society tries to define it about feelings and romance. It was love in that love is patient, love is kind, love does not keep records of wrong. And so for our children, for our faith, for our vow, we decided we needed to get back together. And I vowed to myself that this time it would be permanent no matter what. And that was an imperative because we still never took any marriage classes. We never had any training and our marriage was still kind of bad. Um, he would say mean and nasty things. And, you know, I throw the F bomb at him and say, I hope you drop dead and things like that. So it was very, very painful. So about 20 years into this, our marriage had gotten to a level of just tolerance all right, I'll just tolerate him if I have to be married to him till the day I die. Uh, I went and got my master, well, my bachelor's in communication, my master's in communication, and then my PhD specifically on marriage communication. And that's when the survey that I was telling you about, I did. It was a humor in marriage. And all these, this 35% of these people checked off that they were extremely happily married. And that's when I went out and said, I have got, after I finished my doctorate, I've got to find out if this is a formula or if it's accidental. So when I interviewed these couples and I found this formula, I would sit at my computer and just cry. Katie, I'd be like, what is, what is extreme happiness look like? I just want happy, you know? And so um, when I started seeing that it was a formula, here's the magic. I started, I recognized my own selfishness because the S in the sacred formula is selflessness. And I recognized my own selfishness. And I started treating my husband just a little bit differently and not realizing he was a marital guinea pig, but he should have because he's married to me. He started reciprocating these behaviors. So this marital cycle that was cycling to the bad, you know, I say something bad, you say something back. I hate you. You hate me. It started cycling to the left. I'd say something nice. He'd say something nice. I'd do something good. He did something good. And it's like, boom, 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 boom. It went from unhappy to happy to very happy in a short time, which is what I want your listeners to hear because 
It just seems like, oh, it took me 20 years of bad. It's going to take 20 years to get good. No, that is not how it is. Change of behavior is good comes right away. And so we, our marriage went to very happy. And then, you know, I could talk more personally about why I got into standards because right after mine got good, my daughters got bad and I have, she's divorced her husband and I have now become a parent stander and I am standing and showing, you know, for the, for their marriage to be reconciled. So um, I, that's why I'm so passionate about marriage, getting married, do it the right way, staying married, don't quit when the going gets tough and getting remarried when you've given up because you thought there was no hope. It's all about the vow. It, it, it's all about grace. I'm curious in your research, and I have heard this come and go when I've had conversations about this, the Harvard Harvard Happiness Study uh, kind of uncovering what is true happiness, and their their conclusion was long-term healthy relationships. Do you know anything about that? I do know. I don't know the study specifically, but yes, people who are in, men who are married live longer than men who are not married. It does provide social support. It provides the, all the things essential, but I can tell you a little bit about happiness research, which is also in my book. When researchers go and study what actually makes people happy, they found, and this goes as far back as Aristotle, Katie, 450 BC, but they found that there are two basic types of happiness. And one is called eudaimonic and one is called hedonic. And hedonic is the one that we get the word hedonism from. And it's focused on it. So hedonism is like this short term happiness. The more of it you have, the more of it you need. And it's based on the formula that the the greater life's pleasures and the least amount of pains make you happy. So, oh, I've got a beautiful spouse. My kids are healthy. I've got a nice income. Um, um, you know, the, my body is healthy. I am happy. And now if that were the case, then everybody in, in Hollywood would be the happiest people ever, yeah. but they've got everything. They've got fame, fortune, good looks, good health. They've got everything they want. And yet they are some of the most miserable people on the planet. Suicide levels out of the roof, drug levels out the roof. So hedonic happiness also finds um, that the more of it you have, the more of it you need because the more of it is needed to make you happy. So I have this cookie. This cookie makes me happy. Oh my gosh, I've never been happier. So I want to be happy again tomorrow. So I get another cookie and that cookie still makes me happy, but just a little less happy than it did yesterday. So the next day I'll need two cookies and then three. And then you get to this point where you're absolutely on the other side of the mountain where I, that damn cookie, I need so many of them. I just need to be happy. And so hedonic happiness in our relationships is similar. Um, it says that the more I'm looking for superficial things, like, um, you know, how I, and, and as I'm saying these, these aren't completely superficial on their own, but as long as you treat me nice and you get me, uh, you know, we have sex frequently or, you know, we maintain our health or what, that's not necessarily what does it because hedonic happiness is extrinsic. It's based on external factors that you can't control. So if any one of those factors goes away, I'm not happy anymore. Oh my goodness. Happiness has eluded me. Woe is me. I'll never be happy. I'm the unlucky ones. But true happiness, and if you want to go to your Harvard study then, 
and this is true happiness for people, whether they're married or unmarried, is actually under the category of eudaimonic, E-U-D-A-I, and uh, monia. So eudaimonia comes together in Greek, I believe, but it means the highest human good is the fulfilled life. And so eudaimonic happiness, unlike hedonic, is intrinsic. It is something that instead of the more of it you get, the more of it you need, it is something that the more of it you practice, the more of it comes back to you. And eudaimonic happiness is known as the pay it forward happiness. It's based on virtue, excellence, human flourishing is what Aristotle said it was, the highest human good and, and human flourishing. And so it increases as we practice it. So how do we practice it? Here, here it is, right? Drum roll. <laughs> so have you ever donated money to someone on the side of the road, you know, homeless person? Have you ever worked at a soup kitchen? Do you ever go through Starbucks drive through and then just pay for the drinks of the person behind you? And they would never be able to tell you thank you. Um, have you ever done any of those things or anything similar? Sure. How'd you feel? Good. Why? Because um, you're helping someone. You feel like you're doing good. You were helping someone other than yourself. Yeah. Eudaimonic happiness in our marriages does the same thing. When I was in my first 20 years of marriage, I focused on me, even if it sounded maritally noble. You never want to talk with me. Why don't you buy flowers anymore? We need to go for walks. Let's have sex, you know, things like that. But they're still focused on my needs and why are you not meeting my needs? And, you know, why don't you ever just stop talking? All you do is complain. When we focus on the self and the needs that I am not having met, even though, again, they are needs that we need to try to get them met, it is hedonic at core. But eudaimonic is when I switched it over and I started focusing on, you know, screw you, Christine. Let's just see what Danny needs. Technically, screw you. didn't run through my brain. It was more <laughs> like, Christine, be more selfless, right? So, so I just... If Danny, instead of like, hey, come get your plate, dinner's done, I just would make a simple choice to carry him his plate. And he's like, oh, I can get it myself. I'm like, I know, but I can get it. Or if he's talking or I want, you know, I'm thinking I want to have sex, but he's tired. And I'm like, you know, maybe let him alone or, or vice versa. And when he doesn't buy me flowers, pay attention to the fact that he actually just mowed my lawn because his love language is acts of service. So when I would start doing for him, it made me feel good because I saw him get happy. And so that would free up his energy to do things for me. And then that would make me happy. So eudaimonic happiness in relationships is that when the husband seeks to surrender all of his needs to meet the needs of his wife, that gives her energy to meet his needs. And this beautiful symbiotic relationship just builds out of selflessness. It's like, why didn't I think of that in the first place? Because I was selfish. It's amazing, isn't it? I love it. Yes. I love, you said so many good things, but one thing I want to point out is you you noticed how, you know, maybe he didn't buy you flowers, but you made the conscious decision to notice, yes, but he mowed the lawn. And I think that that's huge because so many girls, and especially in this Instagram world of, oh, look at the boyfriend with this fancy engagement, or oh, look at the flowers and the serenading and blah, blah, blah. 
that's awesome. That's great. Like it's all good, but you can't say, well, my boyfriend didn't do that and ignore all the good he did do because we show up and love each other in so many different ways. And I think that that's, that was something that I learned early marriage. I I remember one of my friends talking about my husband won't let me take out the trash because he doesn't want my beautiful hands to touch the trash can. (laughs) And I was like, oh, cute. Like, but my husband (laughs) lets me take out the trash rude. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. But that was ignoring all of the incredible things he does around the house that I don't even think about because he he takes care of the bills and he does do the lawn and he takes care of, he goes grocery shopping like a lot of times now. And like because of COVID, he started being the one who braved the stores and we just haven't changed it. Um, but there's so many things that he does that, you know, whatever, who cares we about We tend the to take them for granted, right? Because, yeah. oh, that's being met, so I'm not going to look at it. Oh, that needs to be met, so I'm not going to look at it. And the human person tends to look past all that and look for the area that, okay, now let me fix this thing. And then that's not good with relationships. If we own, I mean, those areas that need to be fixed definitely need to be fixed. You got a spouse who's drinking too much, or, you know, you've got a spouse that's gained, you know, 60 pounds since you married them. And that's not good for the health. You do need to focus on those things, but you need to balance them with, but you know what? I know that this is an area you're weak, you know, you're struggling in, but I want to remind you that you're worthy. I love you. You do all these other things for us. So together we can get past this. And that changes everything. I'm so grateful that I was called to do this research. It has changed my life first and then other people's lives. You have so much good advice. Talk to us about, you know, those early days meeting your husband, all those hormones flying through your veins. That is normal, all that attraction stuff and what you learn in your research, what all that means and just the hormones of attraction and how that plays out. So I have a chapter in my book called love, you know, what is love? You know, it's really funny too, before I tell you about those hormones is that when I asked super couples, what are the main ingredients in super couple marriages? Do you know that not one single couple said love? I was like, what? Because love, which we forget is a byproduct of, I mean, loving feelings is a byproduct of loving actions. And so I went out and tried to figure out what is love, because it's probably one of the most used words in our language, but one of the least understood words um, as well. So anyway, when you look at love and you think about falling in love, John Gottman has found that there is, and he's like the grandfather of all marriage research. He has found what we call love, the love cocktail. And the love cocktail is those 11 hormones that when they come together, they make, I'm going to use the word stupid, right? They make you crazy in love. You know, when you first fell in love with your husband or, or even guys, I mean, I think, I mean, my, your listeners now know I wasn't a virgin, right? When I got married, but it's like, you still, your heart pounds and like, oh my gosh, oh my God, he's so awesome. And then you're thinking about him 24 seven. And then you make sure your makeup is right in case you accidentally bump into him. And then, you know, you could have someone whose hair is on fire run in front of you and you don't even see them because you're so hyper-focused on the one you love. Well, all of that is for a reason. There are 11 hormones that come together and these hormones, they make you, what do we call it? I mean, you're technically psychologically imbalanced, right? You're not, you're, it, it's 
not level. I'm always trying to think of a good word to use, right? Infatuation, but like blinded. It is by totally infatuation. Yeah. Yes. You're blinded by love. So of these hormones, let me, let me give you an idea why we're so stupid. This is why I tell people sex ed doesn't belong in school. Cause you tell the kid, you know, Oh, here's a condom. Here's this, here's a, it, that doesn't matter. I graduated ninth in my high school class. I graduated second in my college school you know, class. And so I'm a smart girl, but why did I end up having sex? Because these hormones were stronger than my logic and that's how strong they are. So you really need to, I tell people, know what you're going to say before you get in the backseat of the car, because once you're there, it's done. These hormones take over. Among these, you have like DHEA, which produces a natural amphetamine high, a natural amphetamine high. So if you've ever been high, you know you're not making your best decisions. You've got pheromones, which are your sex sense. Those, you know, for smell and attraction. You've got oxytocin, which is known as the cuddle hormone. And uh, which, by the way, also reduces fear and good judgment. (laughs) So so I've got an elevation of this hormone that says, you're really not afraid of anything, i.e. getting pregnant, getting caught, whatever. And you're also not going to make good judgment, i.e. that's why people have affairs, right? Um, PEA, which is a hormone that spikes at ovulation, and it signals approach and romance. So we're just dying for that romance. They can say all the right things. And even if it's not logical, oh my gosh, it's I'm receiving it. Estrogen, and by the way, these hormones are for males and females, Uh, Some of us have more of one hormone than another, but this is kind of like the package deal. Estrogen, which is responsible for softness and receptivity. I want to receive you physically, emotionally, sexually. Testosterone, which is responsible for aggressiveness, sexual desire, lust. Serotonin, which is responsible for emotional sensitivity and low irritability. Think of this, right? When you first fell in love with your your husband, Katie, you're like, oh, he's so cute. I mean, nothing he does irritates me. Oh, look at the cute way he chews with his mouth open, right? It doesn't irritate me. And then when these hormones wear off in six months to two years, they're like, would you shut your dang mouth? (laughs) You know, why is that fool rolling around in there? everything they do later irritates you. But I think this is a protecting factor from God because if if we didn't have this love cocktail, we wouldn't fall in love with anyone because we'd see their natural selves. (laughs) So, I mean, that kind of makes me laugh. But um, And then one of my favorites, uh, well, let me, before I get to that one, dopamine, which is responsible for excitement, pleasure, motivation, and risk-taking. So I want to take risks. And many an affair has beca- uh, has begun because of this risk-taking uh, influence of dopamine on sometimes lonely or otherwise happy or content spouses who just are happy and they don't pay attention to it, right? Progesterone, which is sedating, calming, and typically in our daily lives, it needs to be inhibited, right? But right now it's not. So I'm not sedated. I'm not calm. I'm more you know excited and happy. Prolactin which reduces aggression, increases maternal nurturance, right? I mean, you see what your body and your mind is doing to you. Oh, I want to nurture you, a baby, whatever. Let me have your baby. Uh, and my favorite, which is vasopressin, it's known as the monogamy hormone. And that one's responsible for aggressive possessiveness in males. So this makes it relatively impossible to be in love with two people at the same time. And that's why I will tell my couples when your spouse has an affair, and this is true for those of you that are young and just starting to date or those that are having affairs, it's like, 
I know they're going to say that because the vasopressant absolutely does not allow the mind. It's, it's the way that we were wired for no, monogamous relationships. It doesn't allow the brain to feel as if it ever felt that way before. That's why everyone says with their next love, I never felt this way before. You're the first time. And they actually did, but they forgot. So when you've got these young girls, because I know your favorite audience is beautiful, you know, 20 somethings. They are beautiful, they are attractive, and they are attracted to people. So I want all of your listeners to realize when these hormones are elevated, you don't think logically. Please trust me, you don't think logically. So you have to have a very high set of morals in advance, or you have to have a very strong boundaries a decision that you've made in advance going, okay, I'm never going to get past heavy petting or I'll never get past kissing or I'm never, you know, whatever your level is, because when these things are elevated, you're done for if you cross that border. You know what I mean? I'm sure you have a million questions, but I, yeah, about that. Remember big rooms filled with humans that you could hug and take pictures with? Well, it is coming back to a college near you. You guys, I'm booking in-person speaking events for fall semester. If you are in a sorority or a women's group and want me to bring the message, some women's empowerment, some knock-your-socks-off motivation, one of the best compliments I've ever got was I sat in the back row thinking you would be boring like all of the other speakers. Don't worry, it gets better. but you literally changed my life. That is the best compliment ever, and that's what I would love to do for you and your sisters. Next semester, reach out through katiebulmer.life. There is a tab for speaking or hit me up on Instagram. I am so excited about booking in-person events and Zoom. I'm also going to continue to do Zoom because why not? It's so great to be able to offer that as well. So Zoom or in-person, check it out at katiebulmer.life. Yes, I I love everything. And I love what you said about setting up yourself up for success, uh, basically is what you're saying and having those boundaries. Because yeah, it's so true. You know, we like to think, oh, well, I can just be in the bed with the door shut and the lights off and a few articles of clothing missing and I'll be fine. (laughs) We'll just cuddle. (laughs) Yeah, and we'll just cuddle and nothing will go wrong. And that's just setting yourself up for, you know, such a dangerous position because as you said, all those hormones swimming around in your brain and, and those are all good things set in you by God because it's normal to be attracted and normal to have all those urges and stuff. But yeah, can you like, just kind of talk first of all through boundaries. And then I want to talk more about how to set up to be this super couple you speak about. Well, so boundaries have to come from logic and morality. Um, As you see, we have to fight sometimes our body's natural processes. So that's why in the old days they had crazy things like chastity belts, or they also had chaperones, which is not a bad thing. Um, So boundaries are sitting down and logically looking at what your outcomes are before, hopefully before you meet Mr. or Miss Wright, hopefully before the hookups to be able to say, what am I looking for? If I were to marry what would he or she have to have? So if you look at those qualities and you know that this girl or this guy that you're potentially going to jump in bed with doesn't have most of those qualities, it can help you have an, you know, a little bit of a boundary between you and that person. So knowledge in advance 
is huge. The boundaries are huge too, because you are human. And I, I say, and I write this in my book too, you never, ever, ever stop being attracted to other people. Even if you're in a 30, 40 year marriage, there's just some people you click with like you. I mean, I love you. I've had lots of radio guests, but we just click. And if you're a dude, I'd marry you, but, <laughs> but <laughs> you're you know, cute too. <laughs> so, so you never stop being attracted to other people and you never stop being attractive. And in my book, I had written about what were some of the misconceptions. And I used to think my boundaries were low because, oh, I'm happily married. And I've had a lot of couples I've worked with, preachers, a lot of preachers have affairs, for instance, because they're like, well, I'm happily married and I got God protecting me. So they put themselves in situations where they think that alone will protect them. Then we're human. We cross lines. We laugh too much with the other person. We start looking forward to seeing the other person. It's those low levels, Katie, that if we can stop it before we recognize that we're actually getting attracted to this person, or at least when we recognize it, oh, oh, I'm enjoying spending time with this person more than I probably should. Or I'm when I do something successful, if I start thinking of that person to tell instead of my spouse or my current boyfriend or girlfriend, then we're like, I need to pull back because it's actually a proximity thing. The closer you are to someone physically, emotionally, the more time you spend, the the more chance you have to be attracted to that person. So that I mean, I guess you can add to the conversation. What would you say boundaries? I say physical boundaries. Don't get caught in the backseat. Don't, you know, have a, have a chaperone, uh, emotional boundaries, spiritual boundaries, know what my morals are, know what I believe. And if you have those in place, you are more inclined to not let yourself be bullied by your love cocktail. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. I've heard it basically putting up guardrails because on the interstate, you see those guardrails on the highway. Well, those are there because you don't want to fall off the road into a ditch, but you also don't want to hit a guardrail. So really like if the line is, uh, well, let's say you don't want to have sex. That's, that's the cliff that's falling off the edge, but you also don't want to hit that guardrail. So like, what is that step before to help protect yourself? Because, you know, again, these, these are good things. These hormones that, and um, I don't know if you listen to Gary Thomas, he wrote, Cherish, I have. And, oh, love yes. and he talks about that too, that infatuation that it only neurologically can last like 12 to 18 months and, and maybe two years. I think you mentioned, yes. but uh, if it's a distance it. relationship and you're not seeing them that often, it can be prolonged. Okay. That makes sense. He said he was doing a a marriage conference one time and it was trying to help couples see the good in each other and like highlight, um, just highlight the good. Right. And a couple came up to him afterwards and was like, um, I appreciate what you're saying, doctor, but you know, my, my husband actually doesn't do anything wrong. Like he's perfect. And they're like, huh, how long have you been married? <laughs> well, this is actually our honeymoon. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. And good for you. Only known it. Yeah, no, so that's good. And like, they're still in that love is blind and love is blind. And it, all of this is good, but just realizing the reality of the hormones and the way we're designed and how to just yes. use your, your brain, <laughs> the logical side as yeah. Yeah. with the hormonal side. Because true love, when I, I teach it in the classes, again, college course, I love to teach it. So I say, what do you do when the love cocktail wears off in the six months to two years, whatever? And um, 
that's how you fall in love. How do you stay in love? And then that's where in the class, you know, I'll, I say it more academically, but here I'll say, well, the first part is emotional. The second part is logical. Do I consciously make a choice to stay with Danny Bacon? Uh, I know his flaws. I know what it's like when he wakes up or, you know, I know how he is when he's, his Green Bay Packers lose and he gets angry. I know all these things, but in this package that Danny is, do I choose to love him regardless? So now the feelings are gone and the decision comes in. And that's true love because just like my super couples, the selflessness, love then becomes takes on its true role as action. Love is patient. Are you patient with your spouse? Are you impatient? Uh, love is kind. Are you saying unkind things to him or of her or to other people regarding them? Love does not keep a record of wrongs. Are you fighting with that person and reminding them every single time you talk about that thing they did two years ago? So all those behaviors are what either make or break a relationship. So that's something, all these 20 young somethings that you love the most and everyone listening can pay attention to. How do you love your spouse? Which actions, which loving actions are you importing to, to create that loving feeling? Are you doing good actions, thus good feelings, or bad actions and bad feelings? The Righteous Brothers, The Loving Feeling. I was about to bust into mm-hmm. song right there. <laughs> <laughs> because you know what? You and I are having, in all seriousness, a great relationship. We love what we're talking about. And you know, if we ever met face to face, that would be awesome. I'm saying good things. You have good feelings. You're making me feel happy because you're saying good things about me. So I have good feelings. But if all of a sudden I slapped you in the face, you'd be like, what? What was that for? And that simple action would change your feelings. And so I tell people, you can get good feelings back for your, again, when you talk spouses, I'm like, you can get those feelings back, just change it to good behaviors. But for the audience that you have, if your boyfriend or girlfriend is providing bad actions, you're going to have bad feelings. Don't over logic yourself like, well, if I would have done this differently, or if I would have done that differently, well, you know what I mean? I don't know if that made, I was kind of alluding to sometimes these abusive relationships, these young kids get into, he said mean things to me, but I'm going to try to make it work. Well, you know, different rules before you marry than after you marry. If they're treating you that way before you marry, you might want to reconsider. Yeah, hundred percent. And I'm glad you brought that up because I want to get into that. So this conversation is different as it relates to a couple who's married. And I think, you know, you and I both believe in marriage and, you know, valuing that vow. Um, but as it relates to dating and our 20 somethings who perhaps are, have not gotten married yet, and they're, they're looking for a life partner, you get to choose, right? And yes. that, and so this conversation becomes a little different of, of what is, so unconditional love is a beautiful thing. And we all want that if we're honest with ourselves and we all want to be loved when we're annoying and when we are frustrated and when we are just feeling unpretty and all of that, the good, bad, and the ugly, right? But we all have that good and the bad and the ugly. And so choosing the who you're going to love through the thick and the thin, through richer and poor and sickness and health and all that kind of stuff. So I guess if you can talk to us with your super couple lens, as our friends listening are starting to date and potentially choose life partners, what are some, some guideposts through that? 
Well, so one thing you and I had talked about that I'm so keen on is having a list. We talk about, oh, my ideal spouse, but you don't really ever realize what your ideal mate is. So first have a list. What characteristics? I, I do this in class. I make my students just write everything you can think of from superficial things like how they look to, um, you know, what actions, you know, what sports, what things you want to do together to the deeply held values. I want them to, go, uh, you know, love God, not smoke. I want them to uh, love their mother, things like that. So put it on the list. And then I say, now put your list in priority order. So rewrite it. Which are your absolute most important things from most important to least important? And then the very last step is draw a line on that list, which are the non-negotiables and the ones that even though you don't want to live without them, you would. So once it's like, oh, I must, I want these 10 things, but I must have these top three. And if I don't have these top three, I will not marry this person. So have your list, know what you're looking for so that you can make a good decision when you're dating, whether or not this person's even worth your time because they do or they don't have that list. Um, I had a second thing too, and now I forgot what was the, what was the full question. Oh, you're good. Well, I just all the research you've done um, as it relates to super couples, you really have found a formula. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are starting to date, and so how do they get this eventually by choosing um, better choices? I guess I could. Yeah, say. Th- definitely better choices. So know what you're looking for, and then know what love is. So when I found in here, you know, besides what I just started saying, love is patient, love is kind, love does not keep records. That super couple formula works when you're dating. Funny, you know, the sacred formula, the S-A-C-R-E-D, selflessness, attentiveness, communication, respect, encouragement, deliberateness. When we're dating and when we're in that love cocktail, some of those things come naturally. I'm naturally going to be selfless towards you because, oh, look, he likes Hershey bars. I'm going to buy him a whole case of Hershey bars. Oh, you know, she likes... I don't know. She likes crafting. I'm going to go to that craft show with her because she likes it, even though I'd rather stick a fork in my eye. Right. I mean, so we're naturally being selfless. We're naturally paying attention to what they do well and not what they do poorly. We're naturally communicating more often and of greater quality because we're trying to win each other. So communication, there's better listening, there's better word choices. We're definitely respecting because respect is esteeming the worth of the person we're encouraging. Oh, anybody could, if anybody could do it, you can. And we don't have to be deliberate when we're dating because it happens because of the love love cocktail. So for your listeners, I'd say knowing what that formula is and knowing that the love cocktail will wear off. If you can choose to be selfless, putting that other person's needs before your own, that will be key. Looking for you know, do I pay attention to what they do well or what they do poorly? How do I speak to him or her? Or do I have a guy that speaks to me in in a way that I don't really like or that hurts me? So I would say paying attention to what what super couples do and then evaluating your own relationship based on that formula, because that will lead you to super because you have to be intentional. The D is deliberate. Okay love cocktail gone. I'm deliberately going to choose selflessness. I'm deliberately going to choose to communicate because there's gender differences in communication. Uh, I talk about the number of words women use compared to the number of men use to the fact that the men's brain is different. Well, men and women's brains are different from structure and hormonal differences. So men want more of a direct 
communication. They don't have the neural pathways from one hemisphere to the other that connects thoughts, but girls do. So if I'm starting out a conversation talking about flowers, it can lead to the bills. It can lead to, hey, next week we got to make sure we go and mow the lawn, you know, whatever. So understanding that your boyfriend or girlfriend is not going to communicate like you and selflessly trying to communicate their way instead of just thinking they should do it your way. But if you're both doing that, if I'm trying to communicate the way Danny wants and Danny's trying to communicate the way I want, in essence, that selflessness is, is the need for that is being met. That's the number one, Katie, selflessness. And I, I'm going to just turn this interview on you. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. But you, you've been married, you know, several years. 16, yeah. 16, it's almost two decades. Tell me where selflessness, just me talking about this, where do you see selflessness in your, your spouse's behavior towards you in your marriage? Yeah. Gosh. Well, Brian's the best. He, he, um, like I was just joking about. So since this whole quarantine craziness, he's been the one who would always like, all right, I'm braving Costco. I'm putting on the mask and I'm like, you know, Pray for me. A hero. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just been so funny. Like it's just kind of been a new normal for us. He's always the one who's like, all right, well we're low on bread. And it's funny, like the girls and I were upstairs just uh, two two nights ago playing a game, and I heard the garage door. I'm like, "Where'd Brian go?" And we were all like making theories, and sure enough, he had gone to get lunch um, bread because the girls didn't have bread for their lunch Aww. boxes the next day, and it brought us back a little slice of cookie cake from the public bakery. Just like always doing little stuff. How did you like- feel when that action, when that loving action took place? How did you feel physically? cared for, seen, appreciated, loved, all yes. of that stuff. Yeah. That's what I think you and I want our listeners to hear. Guys, just make sure you treat each other with, meet their needs, yeah. seek to meet their needs and vice versa. Yeah. And that's, that's love. And I think that this conversation is so important because I think something that our young people are not thinking about is them making a healthy decision when it relates to dating and then marriage will affect generations. And I don't think I'm exaggerating because just talking about that with our two daughters, then they just saw an example of unconditional selfless love one simple Tuesday evening, you know, and that's just one little example. And when our young people make that healthy decision and get a healthy marriage and then their daughters and sons see that modeled, hopefully they continue. And, you know, I know that there is, um, there's life and there's humans and this isn't always going to be a perfect formula, but it's certainly going to be a lot healthier <laughs> odds right. to, to set your future generations up for healthier marriages. Absolutely. You know, I, I keep a, a list, my standards. I have 120 people that are in my standards group at this point. We started out with four. We have people from 30 states and seven countries. It's you know such a blessing. Sorry that they need us, but glad that they found us. But what you just said was so important because I also have a column on my Excel spreadsheet that has the number of children and grandchildren each of these standards has. And when we look at that, even though we have 120 people in the group, we have well over 500 children and grandchildren who are being affected by their mom and dad's choices, by the divorce, by the infidelity, by the, and anybody listening who's a child of divorce understands that. And it's like, you are right. This is a generational decision. Your decisions will impact not only your future children and grandchildren, but their spouses 
your neighbors, your siblings, because when you marry, you marry a whole family system. So it is so important. And, you know, speaking of families, trust, if you have a good relationship with your family, trust them. If they like your boyfriend or girlfriend, I'm not saying they should have the ultimate say so because some daddies will never like anybody. Their little girl is dating, but you know, if, if they're your girlfriends are like, I really like that guy you're dating, you know, or your family's like, Oh, nice, nice young lady you've got there. They, you know, or if they're saying, you know, honey, I don't feel comfortable with this one. Just, I don't know what it is, but I just listen to them. Yeah. They see something. Don't be brash. Use your logic. Confirmation bias. I'm sure you know yes. what that is. That's yes. what I'm thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. So people know confirmation bias is you look for evidence to support what you want to believe. And that's very common in a dating relationship because you're like, he can do no wrong. He's perfect. But if your friends and loved ones who want the best for you are, are multiple people or in your life are like, mm, red flag, red flag, have the courage to, to listen to that. That is so huge because in the standing, that's what we say. All you need is one person in your life to say, Pam, don't leave your husband. You know, you've got a husband and seven children. Don't do it. You're going to hurt a lot of lives. But when people usually divorce, that confirmation bias is because we've got such a society dripping in divorce. We're we're swimming in it. Oh, everybody else gets divorced. Their kids are fine. Well, actually, no, their kids are not fine. They're not showing you. I mean, the kid, the kids are screaming it out, but you can't see it because it's it's the silenced um, majority in our in our world today because they're not allowed to say, "Mommy, Daddy, you're hurting me. Get back together." Yeah. So, confirmation yeah, bias. Be that person who tells your BFF, "Honey, I love you and I want you happy, but I don't think that this guy is is the one that meets all your needs." Be that person or the one that just really says. I know you're you're not happy. I know you're looking elsewhere, but this is a good man. Or this is a good woman. Yeah, speaking life. Either way, you know, hey, red flag, or you need to work this out. Like this is worth pursuing. This is worth yes. saving. Words are powerful, and we can be that person. <laughs> be that person. Be the person who's got the courage to speak truth and life and love to your friends and family members. It's not always going to be easy. But you can save a lot of broken hearts if you speak up. And I also wanted to ask you, because you have so much knowledge, PhD, studied this, have so many different couples and you know focus groups that you studied all this. And I think it's fascinating, and you and I have talked about this, that so the science, fun. all your studies, all your research just happens to back up what our creator says. Oh, Shocker. Wonderful. Um, yeah, that's right. So I'm just curious your your faith stance as it relates to everything we're talking about. Well, I'm so glad you brought that in because I tell people my book, when I wrote it, it's not a religious book. It's written just from this social science perspective. But whenever you do any good science, it always falls in line with the Bible. Yeah. And it, it does because when I found out, you know, when I was creating the formula and I saw this selflessness and I saw communication, I had all these things written down and I'm like, I was running, I was on a six mile run and I was like, I need to turn that into an acronym. Uh, I, I, oh, it could be sacred or scared. And I thought, well, I'll just do sacred because it'll sell more books than scared, right? And so, um, and then after I wrote it, and I thought only a good and perfect God 
would make sure that the formula ends up being sacred. Because Katie, I didn't chip that formula to make it say sacred. I saw selflessness. I saw communication. I saw respect. I saw that these people were deliberate. I saw that they encouraged each other. And then the only one I had to change was attentiveness because it was really perception that I was looking at, how they perceived the other. Do I perceive my husband as a good man or a bad man, but I needed another vowel in the formula? So I made it attentive, but it still came out to be sacred. And I said, you know what, God, it's just a reminder that, you know, if we do things right in our secular world, but we do them in, in, in line with the truth that you teach, it always works out. I'm a devout Catholic and people are like, wow, you're Catholic and you love Jesus. And I'm like, yeah, go figure. Cause Catholics have such a bum rap in the South, especially. I don't, don't know why, but, um, when I look at, if it hadn't been for my faith, it wouldn't have saved my marriage because God in the Catholic and the Christian faith is the most selfless person there is, most selfless being. I mean, you give your life for everybody else. That's really what we're looking to do in our relationships is you give your life. I mean, the whole idea of marriage is sacrifice, right? I will sacrifice my needs for your needs. Well, that is a religious it comes from sacrifice. The word sacra means holy and fecia means to make. So sacrifices to make holy. So my religious background is, is saying marriage is not designed to make you happy. It's made, it's designed to make you holy. If you Preach. go after happiness, you miss both. If you go after holiness, you gain both. So I don't know if that directly answers my faith walk, but all of this study has just solidified my faith and made me Turn more to God and tell people, just keep God in your relationship and you will keep selflessness. You will keep, you'll pay attention to what they do well, because that's in the Bible as well. It says, whatever is good, whatever is pure, what is holy, keep your eyes fixed on these things. So don't look at the mess, focus on what is good. Um, I could, I, I could make so many comparisons with the Bible and the super couple formula, but it's hand in hand. No, this is so good. And I love what you said about like, you know, a lot of people, oh, doesn't God want me to be happy? No, God wants you to be holy. And he wants you to call him to be closer to you for an ultimate purpose. And I have heard it said, and I thought this is a brilliant example, that marriage is our on this earth example of how much Jesus loves us. So yes. we get the opportunity to love each other unconditionally, to love each other when we're a pain in the butt, to see the best in each other, to be like, I know that you are I don't want to say better than that because that sounds wrong, but like I see so much good in you, even when you don't see it in, in yourself right. and being each other's cheerleader and backing each other up and, you know, supporting each other in the tough years and in the good years, because through a marriage, you are going to experience all of those. And I think yes. that that's the beauty of it. And as you said, you know, when we walk through this, oh, my life is perfect as a celebrity thing, then you just crave more and more of it. And it's just like an empty thing. But I think that I definitely love my husband more now, 16 years through good, bad, and ugly than I did when we right. got married, because that's the good stuff. That's the, that's the real deal. Like Knowing that he's seen you throw up and he's yes. still married to you, knowing he's seen you, um, you know, that one week out of the month when you're just not yeah. a nice person and he still uh -huh. loves you, you know, yes. when we see them coming home, focused more on work than they're focused on their family. And you're like, okay, this isn't him. He's under a tough thing. You're right. That it, I mean, that's a great analogy. This is our, and it's our practice for heaven, giving yeah. to someone else above ourselves. 
But it's eudaimonic, Katie. The more you do that, the better you feel because it's like, you know, it makes me feel good to see my husband happy. And if I can do this for him or surprise him, you know, one day my husband went, and I know it sounds a little more superficial, but my husband is not romantic at all. If I just, I wish he was, but he's not. And one day I went to my car at work and there's this very expensive perfume over a hundred dollars that I always wanted, but I didn't get because it was expensive. And it was on my steering wheel with a single rose. So he not only purchased that because, you know, he's a cheapo or he's not a cheapo now, but he used to be right. Cause he was raising a family and I'm like, oh. and, and he got something, he had to take time out. He had to go purchase it. And then he had to drive to my car. And then he, you know, so it was like that, was so thoughtful in a really romantic way. Ah, so much fun. Um, can you tell everyone how they can listen to your radio show because it's amazing and any other oh. ways they can find the awesomeness that you offer on the online space? Oh, thank you. Well, just go to breakfastwithbacon.com. There's no punctuation in there. That's my radio show, Breakfast with Bacon. And Miss Katie Bulmer was a guest, so you'll see her if you go there. But it has my radio show and all the past broadcasts we've done. I've done them with college students, and I've done just consider it like the Christian Oprah. I've done series on yeah. sex trafficking and you know stuff like that. Very diverse, and I have um, you can have information for how to get my book, how to do marriage coaching. If you want to meet with me prior to marrying, I've met with a lot of young couples and helped them. It works with, say, personality stuff. We've done Myers-Briggs together, emotional intelligence. The fun stuff from those who, if you're listening and your mom and dad are considering divorce or you see them struggling, go to my website and see if uh, you know we can get mom and dad to talk to me or at least one of them. So breakfastwithbacon.com, you can get the radio, the book. Um, what else? What else, Katie? What else, what else do we have? Right? The writing, anything we do, just go there. Yes. And the book is called The Super Couple. You can get it on Amazon and all the places. Yep. Anywhere and books are sold. You're really in your zone on that radio show. I mean, thank you for having me as a guest. And I can just tell that like God has equipped you and blessed you to do that thing well. I was I was like, dang, she's good. I loved it. I loved every minute of it. <laughs> that's why we that's why we have a good relationship. And I pray that God blesses your mission completely. You're touching a lot of lives, especially those 20 somethings are I mean that he's so specific with you that those are people just before they make all those really big mistakes or you know, you can catch them and say stop. I've got you. Let me point you in the right direction. What a great ministry you have. So I pray that God just touches you in in ways that you can save a million marriages as well before they even happen. Ah, you're the best. Thank you so much for being here again. I am just giving you a big virtual hug because you're my favorite on the online space. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, thank you. And thank all of you guys for listening. We appreciate you. We both do. Everything I do started with having coffee dates with my younger friends. And this podcast I like to imagine is just that, you and I having a coffee date. And if it went by too quickly for anyone else besides just me, there are plenty more episodes to check out in the archive. So just scroll up, find a topic that suits your fancy, and give it a listen. If an episode made a difference in your life, take a screenshot, share it on social, give me a tag at Katie Wilmer Life so I can give you a big virtual hug. And leaving those reviews on iTunes it is a chai tea latte to my soul to see your reviews. And thank you so much for each of you who keep coming back week after week and getting some truths for your 20s. 
Hi, I'm Hannah. Thanks for listening to my mom's podcast. And my work here is done.